Okay, the message today is in, entitled The Righteousness of God. Um, and it's quite simply the message uh, of God's, from God's word about how a sinner like you and I are justified uh, by God. And if I can stay out of the way just long enough, uh, I think you will find that our text today will, will be both uh, intellectually stimulating and simplistically reassuring to you in your faith. So uh, allow me to read that text Romans in Romans 3, chapter uh, verses 21 through 26. If you'd like to uh, turn to that and follow along uh, with me as I read. Starting with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put for, forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are thankful for your word, which is perfect and right reviving our souls and enlightening our eyes, and more to be desired than gold and sweeter than honey. We ask that you open your word to us today, that we will leave this place strengthened and encouraged in our faith. We pray for the one who speaks, whose sins are many, that the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart may be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So several years ago, um, I, along with a few others who are actually in the room, uh, uh, were participating in a Bible study on the book of Judges. And in that Bible study, we used a great study guide, Judges for You, written by Tim Keller. Um, uh, so in this, and just kind of giving you the rundown there real quickly, in Judges, what you see in Judges is a repeating cycle. Uh, first, God's people will rebel against him, uh, typically assimilating with the, uh, with the pagans in the land. Um, then um, there is retribution from God which usually is in the form of an oppressor that is put upon them. Then the people would cry out in remorse. Originally, I had repentance in there, but it never was really repentance. They were just sorry they were hurting. Uh, then God would rescue them, um, sending a judge to deliver them from the oppressor. And then uh, follow, uh, followed by a generation or so uh, experiencing peace and rest provided by God. And then in time, they would drift, and they would drift into 
uh, another rebellion, and it all starts over again. And it keeps going over and over again. They have 12 judges in that book, um, and it went through every time. And this we actually see playing out uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, if, you, if you read it. And actually throughout all history, you just see these, these cycles happening. Um, and we even saw it in Eden, in the garden, where, um, you know, which, you know, life is, there was a life of peace with God. Uh, which then was followed by rebellion against God. And then God's judgment, which was tempered um, by his mercy. And as it, where he killed an animal to provide clothing for Adam and Eve instead of uh, uh, an immediate death penalty. So we see it... Um, we see it in the history of the kings of Judah. We were just going through this with the kids rock recently, and it struck me again. Just uh, with the kings of Judah, you'd have a, a bad king, you'd have a good king, and, and, and usually the bad king was bringing some kind of retribution on the people, and a good king would represent, would bring uh, rescue and, and peace with God. And we see these cycles happening. Well, Keller, in, his, in the study, you know, made this point about judges. Uh, on the one hand, God is just and cannot tolerate evil. On the other hand, God is merciful and cannot tolerate the loss of the people he has, he has committed himself to. Um, and, and as Keller was saying, this, is a, this was a tremendous, uh, irresolvable tension between justice, and mercy. And, uh, and we will see in this passage today, if you haven't already seen it, it's, it we see this being resolved uh, finally in this passage. So in, as we go through this, I'll have um, uh, four headings uh, to, today. The first one, as a prologue, I'll call justification is not by works. The second one, the gift of righteousness. The third one, the gift of redemption. And then fourth, just to keep you awake, justification is by works. Okay, we go full circle. All right, so now section one, uh, the prologue justification is not by works. So... uh, Looking at verse 21 there, it starts out with, but now, but now. The word but, a disjunctive that uh, is there to separate two contrasting points. Uh, But we are told never skim over the buts in the Bible. Okay, that's a, I'm just going to tell you that right now. Never skim over the buts in the Bible because there's really good stuff there for you to, to examine if you want to understand uh, what happens after the but, you really need to understand what happened before the but uh, and uh, to, to make sure that that happens. Uh, to, because uh, in order for us to understand what God wants of us or wants for us, we need to also understand what he doesn't want. So a great example of a but found in, is Ephesians 2. That's one that we usually turn to. Um, 
verse one, uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, verse three, and were by nature children of wrath. What comes next? But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Um, R.C. Sproul said in his own inimitable way, I call this the apostolic however, because apostolic but wouldn't sound right. <laughs> so so let's, let's take a quick look at what Paul had on the other side of that but. Now, all of our text is on the right side of it, but now let's see what happened before to help us to get, get our, a context here. The main theme of Romans would be found in, in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, you can turn to that if you like or just listen as I read. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in, in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in this, uh, the word gospel means good news. So we're going to hear the good news in, in, in this. In fact, that is true. Uh, he is uh, heavily focused on gospel message in this book, or at least in the first half, um, which we cannot fully appreciate unless we understand the bad news. And uh, so that's what's going to happen before we get to the good news. Starting with right there at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men. And then in, uh, uh, it just goes on, and it's just constantly talking about sin and, and the problems. In, in, in verse 12 of chapter 3, he quotes from Psalm 14 50, and 53, no one does good, not even one, which I think is a key verse in that whole, whole section. And then this, then this bad news culminates at verse 20 of chapter 3, right before we get into the good news. Um, one verse, in fact. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. So the, by the works of the law. Or you can just say, by works, no human being will be justified. Okay. Um, or if, you're keeping, if you like keeping track of this sort of thing, um, our text has 129 words. We've now exposited two. So um, the but now part. And uh, so just uh, if, you're, if you're checking, engaging, we're one and a half percent finished. <laughs> All right, so our second, our second heading, the gift of righteousness, um, is we're looking at verses 21 and 22. Let me just read those again for you. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ uh, for all who believe, for there is no 
distinction. So what is meant by the righteousness of God here is an important thing here. Righteous, righteousness um, is translated from uh, the Greek word dikaios une, um, however that's pronounced, but dikaios uh, une uh, is a word that means justice or righteous. And the root of it, the chaos, is, means right or just. So, so we're seeing righteousness of God, but we could say the justice of God um, in, in this. So you can see how, that's, how that um, can get confusing based on the translation sometimes. So when we think of righteousness as a characteristic of God, we see him as just in his judgment, always just in his judgment. But the use here in this verse, as well as in verse 17, as well as so in 21 and 22, the righteousness of God is not speaking of this character, but something that is received through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, to quote that in the, in the passage. It's received, so it's, it's something we can receive, the righteousness of God. So in his commentary on Romans, John Murray wrote, uh, it is a righteousness that must elicit divine approval. It is a righteousness that meets all the demands of justice, of God's justice. So Murray goes on to say, and I quote, the righteousness that is unto justification, which is one characterized by the perfection belonging to all that God is and does. It is God-righteousness. So our justification requires perfection. It is a perfect righteousness that has been manifested apart from the law manifested in the personal righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he kept the law perfectly, and the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So Murray went on and said, uh, this implies that in justification, there is no contribution that is given by the works of the law on our part. Only... Uh, not any works on our part at all. Instead, the righteousness of God here is Jesus' righteousness imputed to us. And there's one of those words, another theological words, imputed to us. It means it's reckoned to our account as if we had, as if we, we were ours, uh, and received only through faith. Okay. So as soon as the story seems like it's really hard, it, it, we recognize it happens. Luther referred to this righteousness as an alien righteousness, one that wasn't from us. So our justification requires perfect, sinless righteousness, which we cannot provide, but Jesus Christ can and did on our behalf through faith. 
So moving on to number three, the gift of redemption. So uh, in here we're looking at verses 23 through 25. And I'll read that for you once again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Um, To say we fall short of the glory of God is not to say we just missed the target. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, the World University Games in China, a Somalian entrant in the women's 100-meter race finished the race in 21 seconds. That was 10 seconds behind the winner. She wasn't even halfway down the track when the winner crossed the finish line. Unheard of. Um, so if you wonder how this you know, could have happened. Um, I'll tell you, it's worth noting that she is a relative of the chairwoman of the Somali national team, or or should I say the former chairwoman of the Somali national team. But even that big gap in distance, it doesn't even come close to what we're talking about here. It's, you know, what... Falling short of the glory of God is infinitely worse than that. It's it's not a matter of degree uh, or margin. Um, It's more like you're not even shooting at the the right target uh, there. And um, if we looked in, in that verse 20 again, where Paul is talking about that it's impossible for, for the works of the law to satisfy God's righteous demands for justification. Um, we start to understand that there's not anything we can do in terms of being good or being obedient that's going to satisfy God's uh, requirement of righteousness. In verse 24, the word redemption is in there. Um, and, and it's a word that was understood at the time very well to, to indicate a ransom price being paid to release somebody from bondage. Um, so while the King James, um, while in the King James, in the, this verse begins by saying that we've been justified freely by his grace. Um, Murray makes the point that this justification from God is provided at no cost to us but a very high price paid in the blood of Christ for our redemption. And we should never forget that. Verse 25 says that Christ was put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Okay, another, another big word we don't use a lot. Uh, propitiation means turns away the wrath of God. Um, very appropriate, very specifically appropriate uh, for that. Um, which is to say Christ made atonement to pay for the penalty of our sin, which was great. R.C. Sproul has a good book entitled Saved from What? Uh, Good one to to read or at least hear him speak because it was taken from one of his studies. 
where he informs us that we're not saved from Satan, as many would say, but from the wrath of God, the very wrath of the very God. Now, this is a concept that is very difficult for many Christians to accept, but it is true. So, as we look at these two pieces here, um, righteousness and redemption, our justification comes to us through these gifts from Christ, his righteousness and the redemption price he paid for our salvation. And now the final section, section four, that we've all been looking forward to, justification is by works. Most of you already figured it out, what that's about, so I'm not surprising very many of you, but... um, So looking at verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. His righteousness here now speaking of God's righteous character. He is perfectly just in in, uh, meaning that if sin goes unpunished, he is no longer perfectly righteous. So to be perfectly just, he has to punish sin. No ifs, ands, or buts. But he's also perfectly merciful, which uh, if he weren't, he wouldn't be the perfectly loving God. So there's that tension again between justice and mercy, but... um, He is the just and the justifier, so for the one who has faith in Jesus. So to be just, then no sin can go unpunished, as we said earlier, but to be the justifier, then the one who is justified must be forgiven of all sins uh, and must be able to stand before God who is uh, truly righteous. So now we're seeing now we're starting to see the resolution to that tension taking place that, that Keller was talking about. So in his words, I'll quote him, it is only at the cross that we can understand how God is able to resolve the tension, this being the tension between justice and mercy, uh, that we saw repeatedly played out in Judges. And then he says, uh, quote, on the cross our sin was imputed to Jesus so that his righteousness could be imputed to us. So this is the double imputation. You may see or hear that expression sometime happening. So our sin is imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to us. And we can see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there's that expression again, which means that it's the righteousness that Christ has exhibited. So Keller completes his explanation by saying, on the cross, God poured out his wrath on his people in the person of his son. He satisfied both justice, because sin was punished, and mercy, since he is now uh, able to accept and give uh, and forgive us. 
Only through the cross can God be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So we are justified because of what theologians call the passive and active obedience of Christ. All our sins have been forgiven because of the passive obedience of Christ who went to the cross and bled and died to pay the penalty for that sin. So you, re- you, remember, you remember the passive obedience of Christ, right? Um, yes, you do. Every week at this table. And his active obedience resulting in a sinless life for Christ was also imputed to us by faith and counted as righteousness for us. John Murray again, um, uh, he, received, he had received a telegram on January 1st, 1937 uh, from his close friend, J. Gresham Machen. And Machen, on uh, the day of, of his death, on the day of Machen's death, all that the telegram said was so thankful For the act of obedience of Christ, no hope without it. So Machen believed, as do many other Reformed theologians, that the death of Christ resulted in the forgiveness of sins of all who believe, which basically puts us back into Eden with Adam. Um, Still required to obey what God has commanded. It is the life of Christ, a life of perfect obedience to God's commands, that that we are able to stand before the holy God bearing the necessary righteousness of God, righteousness that he requires. So our justification requires both the passive and the active obedience of Christ. So, can we actually say justification is by works? I would say yes, as long as you are referring to the active and passive obedience of Christ, certainly not our works. So, John Murray wrote this, it is surely the substitutionary work of Christ, and therefore that substitutionary work must, in order to supply the ground of a real justification, include not only satisfaction for sin and guilt, but also obedience to the law in all the extent uh, and and detail of its demand. So kind of in closing here, or actually in closing, what what do we do with this? First, uh, we need to recognize that our text today is the gospel in that it discloses for us what Christ has done for us to save us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. His righteousness has been imputed uh, on our, or accounted for uh, the justification of all who believe. He died on the cross as the one and only sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God's justice. Uh, justice for all who believe.
So if you're an unbeliever with us today, then believe and be saved. It's as simple as that. Uh, and if you want to talk to somebody, I'll be here and, or, any, or just find anybody who's wearing a name tag. Um, so, because uh, we definitely would want to talk with you on that, uh, about that. Now, if you're a believer, then preach the gospel to yourself every day. This, even this passage, you know, is a good one to read. Every day, preach that to yourself to remind yourself that what he did for you by his free grace, there is nothing you did to earn it. Uh, not at the time that you were saved or any other time thereafter. Nothing. He has done all the work necessary for our salvation. Amen.